Are you one of those people, you listening to this right now, are you one of those people who believes that you planned your entire life before you were born, chose your parents, chose all the plot points because you wanted to experience this? Are you one of those people? Do you know someone who's uh, one of those people, someone who believes this? If so, have you ever noticed how you or your friend or family member never believe that by choosing this life, it means that you were a bit of an a-hole prior to being alive, a bit of a redundant, boring person who just wanted to experience a redundant, boring story. I mean, everyone I know who believes that uses it as an excuse to not really have to, well, either take responsibility for themselves in this life um, or to feel bad about things they should feel bad about, including but not limited to the abuse they suffered as children or continue to suffer as adults. Have you noticed that? I mean, if you chose everything, you shouldn't rest in the solace of, oh, everything's predestined. This is all just an act. No. (laughs) No, right? Like, if you chose all this... You chose to pollute the world. You chose to go to war or ignore war. You chose to do the most selfish things you could possibly do. Because once you get over the hump of, oh, I chose my parents, therefore I wanted to experience the beatings they doled out or the mental abuse they doled out or uh, whatever it is. Hey, maybe your parents were great. Who knows? But whatever it is, then you're stuck with, oh, the rest of my life where I'm an adult um, making decisions that are probably primarily predictable because, let's face it, humans only live out the same several stories over and over again. We live them out. So if we're choosing this, we're choosing this sameness. And this sameness is not exactly how you say perfection. Um, then you can't hide behind, well, there is a certain perfection, the perfection of we chose this (laughs) to learn, to learn something that you're not actually learning because, uh, you mapped it all out. So that means you already know it. So there's nothing to learn. Oh, you just wanted to experience it for the sake of experiencing it. Oh, oh, I mean, whatever gives you a smile about your horrible life is what you're going to believe as opposed to like the fact that, hey, in this life that you're choosing to deny responsibility for, you make some pretty awful, selfish decisions. And some of those aren't exactly all of our fault in some sense. Like, we're born into societies that, um, well, that are comprised of us, sure, but like a whole bunch of other us's. And these other us's have decided that, you know, criminal institutionalism should be the rule of the day. And since we live in that society, we have to use these institutions, right? Like, we, and, and the polluting things, you know, cars and airplanes and all of that, like, we got to use something. 
We got to get around because that's the society we live in. We need the internet because that's the society we live in. So unless we're going to, at some point, just go live in the woods somewhere, but then someone's going to take that away from us to build houses, <laughs> right? Like, there's no really getting away. And, and those people apparently chose their reality too. They chose their parents and the society they're going to live in. They created all this, like a video game, you know? They created um, the suffering and sort of the worst, stupidest construct you could uh, and then said, I want to go inhabit that, just like you. And so it's not like, isn't this so great? It's like, oh, isn't this just an extension of who I am right now then? The decisions I make now. I mean, either I'm that jerk off now <laughs> and I was just born here and through circumstance and, and my own decisions, uh, I became what I became or, or I chose all of this beforehand. Either way, you're still left with you. You see what I'm saying? It's just how far back do you extend? So there is no rest in that notion. There is no, oh, look, everything's pre-planned. Hmm. I create my own destiny. Well, you sure do. But whether it's right now or prior to birth, look at what you chose. Look what you chose to inhabit. Look at the society you chose and the parents you chose and the experiences you chose to have. How wonderful. Because they don't just affect you, they affect other people, right? It's not like, I mean, were you just sitting around choosing and going, oh, I'm going to choose the thing that really hurts my neighbors. I'm going to choose the thing that oppresses people and creates third world countries. Or I'm going to choose to be oblivious to it all or to do just as much. I'm going to create a life for myself where I do just as much as I feel comfortable doing, but not enough to really affect any change. Uh, this is what we chose before we were all born? And we're, we're cool with that? That's, that's a good thing that, that absolves us of our responsibility? Or do you think maybe a belief system like that absolves you of having to feel anything about the abuses you've suffered, being able to uh, forgive those who have abused you without actually looking at any of the issues there with any depth that might be uncomfortable for you, might hurt, or um, to not have to feel guilty about the state of the world, about what we've done to others, about the racism, the sexism, the oppression, all of it. The murder, the mayhem, and that's just among humans. What have we done to the world? What have we done to animals? What have we done to plants? What have we done to trees? What have we done to the mama earth? What do we want to do to Mars? What are we willing to do to the sun to sustain ourselves here for as long as possible? When you suffer or feel guilty about causing suffering, one great way to not look at that if you're a religious person is to say, ah, it's all part of God's great plan. This was meant to be. But I guess another way is to just say, huh, it was all part of my great plan. I created this without ever having a giggle over the irony that you are, in fact, creating this. Yes, that is true. I bring this up because it's fun. It's fun to pick wings off of flies. That's what I chose before I was born, folks. But also because I want to illustrate how 
selfish we are and how hurt we are and how traumatized we are and how, yes, we are doing this to ourselves and to each other in this life right now. And when we look back at the past, uh, the deep past, the prehistoric past, whether it be personally in the example I just used or uh, as historians looking at the archaeological record and looking at Neanderthals and all the other us-like critters roaming around and doing art <laughs> uh, in, the, in, the, in the way back when, we, either way, we, we look at their societies and we imagine what they are and then we claim that that's the truth to justify who and how we are as people, as cultures, as civilizations, as whatever right now. And as evidence of this, I, I give to you something you may not know if you haven't been paying any attention, which I haven't, but, um, but I am now, <laughs> uh, which is, it turns out, the notion that men were hunters and women took care of the kids and stayed home and all that was never true. It isn't true. It was never true. But not only did we treat that as true for so long, we went further and said, therefore, males were the evolving force of our species. And this was assumed because, you know, well, I guess originally males had to uh, run down, it was assumed, run, run down their prey and just tucker out their prey. Their prey would run from them, and they would get tired, and then they'd, they'd move in. But also using tools, doing agriculture, you know, these sorts of things. And let's really hone in on what that means. There's the sexist connotations, right? Like men are big and strong and women aren't, which is weird to me because here in Hawaii, women are big and strong too. <laughs> I can't imagine... Uh, that the men were just doing the hunting and gathering. But also, like, let's think about that. There are indigenous cultures around the world still. And in some of them, certainly the men are the ones who primarily do the hunting, but in some of them, not. So why did we do a one-size-fits-all for prehistoric past? Why did we build everything that we thought we knew about uh, the prehistoric past on sexism? Isn't it because our cultures come from, uh, you know, westernized cultures come from Middle Eastern cultures, the Bible or Bibles, written words that contain their own sex roles? And so we assumed that these sex roles were always the sex roles and for everybody the sex roles. Of course, for those people they're not the sex roles for, those are just savages anyway, not to be paid attention to, which is funny when you think about it, because aren't we talking about uh, like cave people and Neanderthals and people who live in the woods and all that way back when? Um, do we consider them savages too? Or it's weird how we hold the, the people who live in nature now as um, at, at worst savages or at best just kind of like dummies who believe in animism and stuff. And uh, isn't that cute? Isn't that adorable? They seem to know something about plants. Let's get high with them. Uh, but when we look back in the deep past, we have more reverence for them as like, wow, look at these people. They knew how to use tools. <laughs> like, they knew how to paint on caves and stuff. Um, 
which everybody knows how to do. <laughs> so I, it's just weird to me. But I digress. We looked back and, you know, the white male powers that be in the 1960s said, this is what happened. Men hunted and therefore evolved people. And women uh, took care of the kids and, you know, gathered berries and stuff. Prepared the meals, you know, all of that. And it wasn't based on the evidence. And, of course, it takes female researchers to come in and go, wait a minute. Wait, you guys are ignoring all of, all of this evidence to make that claim. Why do you want to make that claim? Well, you want to make that claim because you want the continuity of patriarchy. Right? Because if men are the evolutionary driving force, um, then women are lesser than that, right? If women aren't the evolution, I mean, they're, they're creating babies, sure, but you're advancing them, you're progressing them. So they're baby factories, and you're the forward-thinking um, evolutionary force of the species. Now let's take a look at what that means. Well, it means when we look back and we think that way, we think, Oh, these people knew how to kill. Yeah, yeah, it was for food. But was it? Because what did we evolve? We evolved ways to kill. I mean, this is the way we think about it as, as uh, Westerners. I mean, we don't tend to um, be thankful for our food. If we are, we're thankful to a god for creating um, objects called uh, animals that, that we can kill and eat that are in our way otherwise. We can destroy and take their homes and make our homes and all that. Um, but we're not really thankful to the animals who have given their lives to us or because animals are just soulless toys down here for us to do with what we please. Unless they're our favorite pet or horse. I mean, come on. Limits people. So we kill and we eat and... We're to be thanked for that. Maybe God's to be thanked for that too, around the dinner table. Thank God for men, right? <laughs> or else we wouldn't be eating. We wouldn't be going out there and learning better ways to kill. And then, of course, we end up taking those ways, those tools, which we call evolution, and we start killing each other with them. I mean, right? So... The line here of evolution is men hunt, men find better ways to hunt, which means through weapons. So we make weapons, and then we learn to kill in, in bigger and better ways and start wars. So war is deeply rooted in us as a factor of evolution, our ability to go to war in bigger and better ways is an evolutionary trait, is something to take pride in. Right? Are you seeing this? That's the story we've been telling ourselves. Not because it's true, it's not true, but because it justifies who we are now. It justifies our power structures personally and societally. But because it isn't true, and because we live in that untruth, uh, it promotes these sort of neurotic, delusional, 
repetitive societies. So we consider it progress and evolution, but really it's stagnation. We just keep playing out, again, the same several stories over and over again because we never get it right, because we can't get it right, because those stories, which are our lives, are telling us something is wrong. But when we search for an answer, when we search for how do we solve the wrong thing, how do we make it right, we tend to look within more of the wrong. <laughs> what other wrong people have said? What other wrong people have done? What, are they, what is the antidote to being wrong, wrong people? And then we stay in our loop of our wrongness, keep thinking we're going to keep looking and we're going to find it, and we don't. Because that entire mind is what's wrong. That mind is what's wrong. So how are we going to look for an antidote to the wrong mind within the wrong mind? We can't do it. And the implications of that are, are scary. So rather than, or at least they appear scary at first when you don't know how you're to look at that question of what do we do. It looks scary, and so it's easier to just say, well, I guess I chose all of this before I was alive, so yippee, I'm off scot-free, I'm off the hook. Cheat code, video game cheat code, everyone. I'm awake, I'm out of the matrix. Or, to look back at history and go, well, this is evolution, and the progress that we're making is slow and incremental. And then, of course, you see, here we are again. Back in war after war. Slow and incremental indeed. The enemies are savages, of course. They're lesser, they're animals, they're barbaric. And we're the civilized. Naturally, that's true whichever side of the war you're on, but uh, that doesn't mean both sides are equally right or equally wrong. It's not a both sidesism in that sense, in terms of the cause of the war, but in terms of what causes us to war in the bigger overview sense? Well, that's not the particulars of the politics of the day. That's how we function. The tit for tat, the harm and then react with greater harm to try to stop harm. Whatever our politics of the day are, just an excuse to do that. They're a justification for that. And when you do that as your evolutionary driving force, well, then naturally you're going to be creating greater and greater weapons to respond with. And sometimes those weapons are going to have other uses that uh, you can sell to the public and that you can actually say, hey, this will do more out, quote-unquote, good in society at large than it will for the military or... Maybe it's antiquated by military standards and could be used by the people. And so everyone's upgraded, uplifted by military technology, the driving force of evolution here. Of course, if you're not into the whole bigger and better, badder technology thing, uh, and you're just into the land grabbing, well, that's evolution too, right? That's more for you and your people. Of course, if there are other people on that land, then you've got to see them as, well, savages, animals, lesser than you. 
obstacles in your way. Or else you might feel something about them if you think they have a soul like you do, or you think they're equals, you think they're people. That would be a problem. No, sorry, the mind is the problem. Now I want you to take what we've just learned here about prehistoric man and times that by, oh, every other science sense of history and thing you were told equals greatness in terms of literature, in terms of acting, in terms of artistry. Isn't everything we think we know told to us and taught to us by experts who are building upon the backs of giants, right? In their, their various industries. But those giants were like overtly sexist, overtly racist, overtly Christianized in this culture at least. And if they haven't bothered to even re-examine that and how and why they came to the conclusions they did that just so happened to promote the grandness and uniqueness of our culture, let's say, or the furtherance of patriarchy as a product of how nature intended it. If any sciences put any one aspect of our current culture on a pedestal, our sexism on a pedestal, our racism on a pedestal, our prejudices on a pedestal, our society on a pedestal. Shouldn't we be questioning that? Shouldn't we be re-examining that? How much do we actually even know about ourselves? Period. How much do we know about reality, about physics? Period. I'd say not much. I recently did a He's So Vainy YouTube show reaction to physicist Neil deGrasse Tyson breaking down nothing, the concept of nothing. And, you know, he's blowing his own mind by what he's saying, but he's not going into nothing. He's not going far enough. He can only go so far. One of the great physicists of our day, the great mouthpiece of physics in this culture, can't even get it. Because to get it is to be it. To understand nothingness is to be nothing. We've talked about this on the show eight million times. I don't need to belabor it. But as a physicist, of course, he can't go there. He can just explain nothingness in terms of physics, and then he can sort of get metaphysical by saying, but now if you take away all of that and you take away the laws of physics, then you no longer have space. You no longer have time. Then you have nothing. Then what do you have? You can't even use the word because that's a thing. Like he's sort of getting there, but he refuses to give in to the thing that he's actually saying. Because to stop being wowed by the words that are coming out of your mouth and to really ponder the depth of what you're saying is to be transformed, is for that big old brain to shut you up. 
because nothingness is uh, the stage of being that transcends and includes all. And it is something that you can experience or actually be the first person identity of. Because nothingness is intelligence per se. Nothingness is nothing, and nothingness is everything, and that everything is intelligence, being, and blah, blah, blah. But that's for you to be, not for me to spout off like some hippy-dippy trippy guy. But he's all too satisfied to just do the hippy-dippy trippy thing and then get right back to his science, because that's how he stays in control of the thing he's getting to, but not really getting to. He's getting there with words and with you know, thoughts and all of that so that he doesn't have to be it. He can just think about it and keep it an intellectual exercise. So all of that is to say that even with physics, we can't know reality. We can't know anything that's of any use to us. We can tinker around with facets, but... The wholeness that is us is never going to be found or expressed through physics. The wholeness that is us is never going to be found or expressed through time, through looking back, through our record, through figuring out where we're going, through projecting a future, or through doing the same redundant crap over and over again and calling that human nature or calling that, eh, I chose this before, I was born, or calling that manifest destiny, or calling that, hey, God's behind all of this, we're fine. What are we doing? We're projecting. We're projecting this big, horrid mind <laughs> onto everyone else. Whatever I think about you, that's what you are. Whatever meaning I give you, that's what meaning you have. If I don't think that, that you're an equal, then you're a savage, and whatever your customs and rituals are are silly. And if you're an animal, I don't believe that you have any customs and rituals at all. You're just an animal doing animal stuff. You know? It's either somewhere between, like, superfluous or a, a, an instinctual driving force that is just about your own survival. There's nothing in you beyond that. Because I said so. We are a culture of because I said so. That's our culture. And if a bunch of people get together and say because I said so long enough, then they become the authority figures of what it is they said so about. And then we look to them and be like, so what, what is this we said so? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. You're lesser than I am. And as proof, I'm going to explain it to you in a specialty language, specialized uh, for grad students and beyond. <laughs> the rest of you peons, just hear it and be wowed. A few of us will break it down in some books that won't be as scholarly. They'll be for the consumer. And you can read those. Or not, you probably won't read those. You can read the cliff notes. Google it. Okay, we will. That's the real answer. We'll live by that. There's always a little nagging voice in the back, right? Because when things are wrong, such as our lives, there's a nagging voice, or what we call the hole, and we're constantly trying to fill the holes, consumers can, you know, culture, through buying things, right? We've all heard this. The hole is the same as the nagging voice. You hear the nagging voice, you, it's the urge. It's the urge to 
seek an answer and we translate that into seeking more because we are in fact consumers so we're always seeking more and instead of just calling that consumption we call it evolution we call it learning we call it transcending whatever space we're in man that's what we're going to call it something along those lines we're never going to call it what it is deflection and when we keep hearing that voice over and over again, rather than stop looking in the ways that we are, we tend to just go, huh, I guess happiness and fulfillment and joy and all those great things, those are just ideals that come and go. They're fleeting. They're not our natural state. They're fleeting. Otherwise, I would have uh, been fulfilled permanently. I wouldn't just keep jumping around from... Fulfillment to fulfillment, like, like a leapfrog. Although that, that frog leaping around seems pretty happy. But let's not call it happy. Let's call it ignorant. That frog doesn't know any better. This is who we are. This is what we're choosing. This is what choice is about. Free will is about. Free will is a cage. Free will is shackles. Free will keeps you here. And you think you have choice. And you think you have freedom. You do. It's just at the end of the word freedom is the letter B.